Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. how capable humans are of committing unspeakable evil until the Holocaust. As Nazi Germany took over Europe, it brought the soul-killing sickness of anti-Semitism with it. Six million Jewish people were brutally murdered during the Holocaust. The Holocaust has left a spiritual scar as well. Many Jewish people struggle with the idea of an all-powerful God who could allow such a horrific tragedy to happen to his chosen people. On top of this, many are convinced that Christianity is to blame. The church's history of anti-Semitism may have influenced the leaders of the Holocaust. Yesterday, April 21st, Jewish people and non-Jews around the globe observed Israel's Holocaust Remembrance Day, which in Hebrew is called Yam HaShoah. The Shoah, which literally means catastrophe or destruction, is the Hebrew name given to the Holocaust by the Jewish community. Yom HaShoah was established in Israel in 1959 on the 27th day of the Hebrew month of Nisan. Nisan is the same month in which we celebrate Passover. The Israeli Knesset chose this date to also remember the anniversary of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, which took place from April 19th to May 16, 1943. Every year on this day, a two-minute-long siren sounds throughout Israel at 10 a.m. to honor the Holocaust victims and start the Holocaust Remembrance Day ceremonies. When this alarm sounds, everyone stops working. They stop walking in the streets, they pull over their cars, and they just wait with their heads bowed until the two-minute siren is finished. In unison, almost seven million Jewish people stop what they are doing to remember the precious lives lost during this tragedy. Yesterday, these events took place in the shadow of the coronavirus pandemic that has actually claimed the lives of many Holocaust survivors. In today's episode, we want to dedicate this time to some stories of Jewish people 
who wrestled with their faith as they tried to reconcile who God is in light of the Holocaust and if Jesus is really for Jewish people. Later on, we also want to share some ways you can honor the lives lost during the Holocaust. The first story is Sam. Sam was a Vietnam War veteran who grew up in the shadow of the Holocaust, and he was convinced that God could not be real. But through some unexpected circumstances, God showed Sam who he really is. Take a listen. My name is Shmuel Eliezer Ben Moshe Nadler. I grew up uh, in New York City, so you'll pardon me, I'm still learning English. Uh, but growing up there, I had a lot of questions. How could we believe in a good God who allowed such a horror of the Holocaust to happen to our people? Uh, the rabbi, a very dear and sweet and gentle man, he said, Shmuel, the only thing I can tell you is what I tell myself. He who believes uh, cannot question, and he who questions really cannot believe. Well, that, that didn't help me at all. And so I went from appearing uh, very religious growing up to then uh, becoming uh, quite rebellious in a sense. Hitman 2-3, this is I was a map maker uh, for the U.S. Army in Vietnam. During the Battle of Tet, uh, we were under such attack. Horrors were going on that either you were on drugs or you were drunk. My commander of my unit he thought he was like John Wayne, and he had scotch in his, in his canteen, and he was drinking scotch. He passed out just before the battle began. Uh, some of the sergeants got so overwrought, they were breaking down crying in the bunkers. You know, they say there's no atheists in the foxholes. And so even though I was pretty sure there was no God whatsoever, the whole thing was like idiocy, you know, the opiate of the people. But because of the kind of horrors that go on in warfare all the time, I might have been interested to hear some good news, even in Vietnam there. And the chaplain comes by, and all he said was, I'm getting out of here, but good luck to you. Some of you won't be here in the morning. I, I thought, this is a religious person, you know. They were bringing troops through. Uh, and going on to other areas of deployment. Uh, and so they were sleeping out in the open, and we were under attack uh, all the time, incoming missiles. And I remember saying you know, to the officer in charge, I said, listen, let them sleep in the barn, uh, because at least they'll have some protection. Uh, and the officer said, no, they don't have the clearance to sleep in the barn with the maps. The next morning, all there was was a puddle of blood, puddles of blood from these fellas, and all I could think of was the heartache. War is a horrific thing. Horrific thing. I was what might be considered uh, politely in English an unregistered pharmacist, a drug dealer, not particularly kosher. I would run into people who had the nerve to be on the streets of San Francisco proclaiming this Messiah, Jesus. I was a little bit off-put by it because they smiled too much. I didn't think that people should smile that much. Who could be that happy? But one of them, one night, had the nerve to try to tell me that I needed to believe in Jesus. I felt so offended, let me tell you why. Uh, I thought, oh my goodness, they want me to go to the side of our enemy. It turns out that he, was, he said he was Jewish. My heart broke for him. I thought, a Jew who believes this? 
This has to be the dumbest Jew who ever lived. What kind of Jew believes in such narishkeit, such foolishness? He invited me to go to what he called a Bible study. I thought maybe it was like an archaeological find. They have a Bible, they'll look at it from different sides. I couldn't figure out what that might be. I would go there to laugh at them. I thought it would be my evening entertainment. Now, I got there, and there was a pretty ordinary-looking group of people. Each one had a Bible. I thought that was pretty interesting. They each had their own Bible. But they were taking everything so seriously. What do they think? These are God's love letters to them? <laughs> uh, and the portion that they were looking at was in the prophets, in Isaiah chapter 53. In traditional Judaism, where we don't study Isaiah 53. That portion is skipped over uh, by... Uh, our rabbis. They wanted me to give my opinion of who I thought the prophet was talking about. Give me a minute. To, let me take a look at this thing. As I was reading through it, it would talk about the one. It said, all, all we, like sheep, have all gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. But Hashem has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It said there that he would be killed, cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. What a strange thing for our scriptures to say. And I got to the last verse in that section, and even though he'd been cut off, it said there that he would give uh, the gifts, the spoils, uh, to the stronger faith because he had been cut off for my people. For my sin. How could he? I thought he had died. Now he's giving. I said, and it came to me that he hadn't. Maybe he came back to life. At that point, it came very clear what this section of scripture was speaking about. It seemed to be talking about you know who? That Jesus. Nothing is supposed to be this clear. These are really tricky, sneaky people. They put part of their Bible in what's supposed to be my Bible. What a bunch of idiots thinking they're going to be able to trick real Jews, you know? And so when they said, so who, finally, who do you think it's speaking about? I looked at them and I said, I don't know. I don't think anyone can tell. The Bible is such a mystery. No one can fig ever figure this out. They looked so disappointed. And they said to me, well, we'll be praying for you. I said, fat chance. What kind of God is there that'll want to answer prayers for someone like me? Where was this God in the Holocaust, I said to them. Over that period of time, I found myself thinking more and more about it. My goodness, this is, this might be our Messiah. I didn't like that, I remember. You know, okay, God, if, if you have a Messiah for us, that's fine. But please, someone besides this Jesus. I was living in a, in a very bad place where people were doing drugs. But some thoughts entered my mind. It seemed somehow clear to my thinking that drugs were opening me up to the spirit, but it was the wrong spirit, that there was a spiritual battle for my soul. But I was on the losing side. I wasn't sure what to do. I got on my knees there, and I cried out for Jesus to save me. I woke up that next morning. Somehow... I knew my life was different. I wasn't sure about all the details, but something's, and in my heart, I actually believed that, that Jesus is Lord, is our Messiah. 
I wasn't sure what to do. I wasn't sure where to go. Who do you talk to about these things? Not in that world. Well, there was a restaurant. There were pictures of, of Jesus on the wall. I really didn't know what would make someone a believer or something, so I thought that was a pretty good shot. So I went in there. It was really early in the morning. I didn't know what to do. I went, they were just opening up the place, you know, the manager opening up. And I said to him, hey, listen, Jesus saved me last night. What do I do now? The guy looked at me and said, I don't know. You want breakfast? <laughs> then I remembered that a long time before, I had gone to this, couldn't remember what they called it, a Bible thing. But they, maybe they would know what to do. I couldn't believe that they would remember me. But nonetheless, I called them up and I said, listen, my name is Sam Nadler. I came to your Bible thing a long time ago. And, but listen, Jesus saved me last night. What do I do now? They were so happy. They had been praying for me every day. Today, when people ask me, how can you believe in God in light of the Holocaust? In all of our afflictions, he was afflicted. And so to be his people means to be kind of uh, his raw nerve endings. In all of these matters, he is afflicted. Uh, he mourns and he cries over all of our pains and issues, let alone something like the Holocaust. But he, may his name be blessed forever. Our Messiah, he loved the unlovable. He forgave the unforgivable. But yet he died a horrible, evil, torturous death by crucifixion. He understands the pain of the Holocaust. He knows what it's like to go through your personal Holocaust. This is what he brings to our hearts as well. How beautiful is that? God mourns with his people. Sam went on to become a missionary with Chosen People Ministries and served as our president years ago. His journey to reconciling his faith with the reality of the Holocaust is relatable to many Jewish people, including Alan Shore. Alan was very moved by his visit to Dachau, and he felt a responsibility to honor the memory of those who died in the Holocaust. In his mind, believing in Jesus was out of the question. But a friend who believed showed him that there was more to the Messiah than he thought. I remember standing on the subway platform with my mother. I couldn't have been more than six years old, and I was a very small little boy holding her hand. And I remember being nose to nose with that silver cross, asking myself, who is this twisted silver man? On this little tiny silver cross, I thought Christians were idiots. They were dumb, dull idiots. I didn't know any, but I'd seen them on television and in the movies. So I knew what they were like. Growing up to the sound of the bells of the Catholic Church waking me up every single morning in my life, those, you know, tough Catholic kids marching out of the parochial school in their uniforms. And I actually thought it was, it was the Christians who, uh, who killed the Jews in the Holocaust. You know, the Nazis were, I guess I thought, the Nazis were some kind of Christian that uh, went on with the business that had been going on for centuries of killing Jews, and they were doing it uh, just more effectively. When I visited Dachau, 
outside of Munich, when I saw the concentration camp and some of the films that they kept and how it was presented, I began really to ask myself in a serious way for the first time ever, perhaps, the debt, how I could just charge the debt that I had as a Jew to those that had suffered so greatly on behalf of that identity and what it had to do with me. And it was at that point, oddly enough, asking myself what it meant to be a Jew that this whole other aspect of um, religious claim came into my life as a result of a robbery that took place in the, the hostel that I was staying at where I was robbed while I was sleeping. Now, being without money or identification of any kind, I made the decision to um, test God, if you will, say, okay, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to wire home for money. I'm going, I had this vision of all these little pieces of paper that were in my wallet flying away into the sky and leaving me behind uh, as a, a child of the universe, a naked child without an identity in the universe, ready to start again, utterly dependent on whatever it was that life brought me. And if there were a God out there and God wanted to look down and show mercy on me, I, I was, uh, he was certainly welcome to. Which is actually exactly what happened. I met a young woman who uh, befriended me. She was a uh, committed Christian believer who was very interested in my Jewish background. And as we got to know each other, she began to unfold story of a Jewish Messiah to me in a way that I, I had never imagined existed. I mean, we knew Jesus was Jewish, but uh, beyond that, I just figured Christianity popped out of nowhere. She very gently began to describe the gospel to me for some reason, as I never had been before, I was willing to listen to the story. When I was robbed in, in the youth hostel, I told her something about what had happened to me. She offered to buy me lunch, and suddenly my, my view of God began to perk up because I thought, this, this is like an answer to my prayers. This is what I've been waiting. This is what I've been waiting for. Well, you know, when I ask myself how it was that I became receptive to a message that had just been antithetical to me throughout the course of my whole life, Growing up as I did, understanding, even though it wasn't even, even said out loud, but that Jesus was not for us. Jesus was not for Jewish kids, not for Jewish people, and his followers were not to be trusted. I was challenged because I didn't know that anything like this could ever exist, but the, 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 there was something so compelling about what she represented. And it wasn't as though she was calling attention to it either. It was just something that naturally flowed from her being that I, I have to say, I found it very compelling and it made me want to know more. Reading the New Testament was a revelation to me. Ha, ha. Because I thought it was some, some, a Christian book was that was written by Christians for Christians, had nothing whatsoever to do with Jewish life or Jewish faith. And as I read, began to read the New Testament, I'm reading all of this 
scripture from the Hebrew Bible that is in the Gospels and reading about a, a Jewish Jesus talking to Jewish people about the prophecies and promises of uh, the Hebrew scripture in the land of promise. And I wound up asking myself, all right, what isn't Jewish about this? And why didn't somebody tell me before? But over the course of about six or seven weeks, as I read the Bible and prayed, learned for the first time in I don't know, ever really, because something had happened to me in Paris that I couldn't deny. But at the same time, I was terrified. I didn't know how to respond or what to do. I was very frightened that I was going to give myself in a way that uh, I wasn't prepared to do. And I was so intent upon preserving my own freedom and autonomy that uh, it felt as if I was going to, if I, if I believed in God, uh, I was going to betray myself. There was a great contrast between the, what I, the vivid image that I still retained after all of these years of the, the crucifix and the, the silver twisted, lifeless, inert body on that crucifix that I had seen uh, at the hip of that, that Roman Catholic sister and the vivid, vibrant, life-giving Messiah that I now began to encounter through, through the scriptures and in my prayers and in my relationships with other people and, and how it was that I was being reshaped in, uh, in, in a way that was new. And one of the main ways that that was taking place was in the qualities of the relationships that I was having, not only with other believers, but how my attitude was changing toward other people. I distinguished faith and belief. Faith and belief are not the same thing. I think Jewish people have to give themselves permission to believe in order that they may have faith. Walking with God, as I have begun to learn to do, is an extraordinarily enriching, multifaceted way of living. It was through his suffering that he reached me. We love what Alan says at the end of his testimony. Faith and belief are not the same thing. And giving yourself permission to believe will help you have faith. Alan is on staff with Chosen People Ministries on the West Coast, and he continues to educate people about how anti-Semitism has hurt Jewish evangelism and what we can do to heal the broken relationship between Jewish people and their Messiah. They say that if we forget history, then we are doomed to repeat it. Yom HaShoah and Holocaust Remembrance Day remind us that unchecked hatred can do irrevocable harm on humanity. Here are some ways you can remember the Holocaust throughout the year. You can listen to a Holocaust survivor. This is a great way to learn about the event from a first-hand witness. The number of Holocaust survivors alive today is decreasing every year due to their age. So if you know one or are invited to hear one, we recommend you seize the moment. You can also watch recorded stories online through the Shadows of Shoah and Shoah Foundation projects. Another tip is you can read an account of the Holocaust. There is a tremendous collection of Holocaust literature in many languages, from survivors' accounts to biographies, historical accounts, and even poems. We recommend Night by Elie Wiesel and Pursued by Vera Schlamm which you can purchase in our online store. 
We know the next two suggestions won't happen soon, but consider it once life is moving again. You can visit a death camp. Places like Auschwitz and Treblinka are eerie monuments left over from one of the darkest periods of mankind's history. You can also visit a Holocaust Memorial Museum. The largest one, Yad Vashem, is located in Jerusalem. There are also several museums in the United States, including the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C., and the Simon Weisenthal Center and Museum of Tolerance in Los Angeles. Before we wrap up, I would just like to end with this. There are many reasons why we might not enjoy peace in today's world. Wars, pandemics, political tensions, and the economy are just a few of the reasons why we find peace elusive. Then, we all have our own personal challenges of health, family, jobs, and personal finance. We also see our culture moving further and further away from biblical values. But you and I know the good news. The peace in our soul does not depend upon our circumstances. It has its roots in the presence of the Messiah. I am grateful for his shalom today, and I hope you are as well. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Our Hope. This episode of Our Hope was made thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Nicole Vaca, Grace Sui, Kyron Bautista, Deirdre Blumenthal, Neil Suraski, Charlotte Machado, Olivier Melnick, Robert Walter, ifoundshalom.com, which was made in partnership with One for Israel, Sam Nadler, and Dr. Alan Shore. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out ourhopepodcast.com or chosenpeople.com. See you next time.